in the ancient world, it was the expectation that if a person sent a messenger, that the messenger would be treated with the same honor as if the person who sent the messenger went themselves. This is why, if you remember in the movie uh, 300, when, um, when the, the messenger for uh, the king is backed up into the pit and uh, he says, this is madness, you wouldn't do this. And, you know, Leonidas says, this is Sparta, boom! And kicks him in the pit. Like, it is a jarring scene. And in that context, it would have been seen as wildly offensive. Because you're supposed to treat the messenger with the same honor as the king who sends the messenger. So here, what's happening in this part of scripture, with that in mind, in verse 48, the Jewish leaders who Jesus is debating say to Jesus, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? And Jesus responds, I am not possessed by a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Jesus is saying, when you dishonor me, you are dishonoring the father. That that. Of all the people in the universe to dishonor, the Father is not the one you want to. This is the God of the universe that you are dishonoring when you dishonor me. Because Jesus is saying he's, he is not seeking his own honor. That his honor doesn't come from what he does or what people say about him. But his honor comes from the Father. The honor that Jesus is owed comes from the relationship he has with the Father. So this idea of honor and shame, it's something that is a little fuzzy for us. We understand shame because we live in the social media age where if you don't respond in the right way immediately, you are instantaneously shamed as being politically incorrect or uncaring or whatever. But how honor plays into that, we, we don't understand with quite the, the precision that the original readers would have, would have seen here. Because they lived in a culture where honor and shame was everything. It was more important than wealth. It was more important than political power. Honor and shame were everything. It was, it was the most important currency you had that people believed that you were honorable. It's why even now in some parts of the world, uh, we read stories about honor killings. 
that when someone shames the family, the family to restore their honor will kill the offending party. Now this is crazy to us. It is so far outside of our sort of view of the world that it's hard to even comprehend how honor and shame could play such a big role in the world that Jesus lived in. But it did. And Jesus is is saying here that you cannot dishonor the Son without dishonoring the Father. Likewise, when we show honor to the Son, we honor the Father. This is an important distinction for us to to wrap our heads around, that that the, the honor of the Trinity, the honor of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, it's all tied together. You know, sometimes um, we can get a little too, uh, too tied into one of the three persons of the Trinity. Um, I once had a seminary uh, professor say that, um, that a lot of the American church is, is happy, clappy Jesus worshipers. Um, and what he meant by that was that we failed to recognize the importance of the Father and the Holy Spirit in some of our North American churches. And likewise, you can have churches that, that uh, emphasize the different members of the Trinity to the detriment of a holistic and total picture of how God operates in the world. And what it looks like to honor the God who exists in Trinity. So Jesus says, I honor my Father. I honor my Father. May we continue to learn what it looks like to honor the Father and honor the Son and honor the Holy Spirit and recognize that that the three members of the Trinity are working in harmony and that we're called to work in harmony too. In verse 51, Jesus says, I assure you that whoever keeps my word will never die. To which the Jewish religious elite respond, Now we know that you have a demon. For Abraham and the prophets died, yet you say, whoever keeps my word will never die? Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and the prophets died. So who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is meaningless. My father, whom you say is your God, is the one who glorifies me. Jesus is offering them a gift. He's offering them the gift of eternal life. He's offering them the opportunity to know the Father. And they're not interested. They don't want the gift that Jesus offers. They don't know how to receive it. They take what is a good thing that comes from God 
and they say it's demonic. Do we ever do that? Have there ever been times in your life when, when God has, has been orchestrating things for your good, but you've thought, oh, this can't be from God. This, this is painful, or, or this is taking too long, or this isn't what I want. It's not pleasurable. We sometimes have this misguided idea that what we want and what we need are the same thing. Or even put another way, that what we want and what God wants for us are the same thing. When the reality is that what God wants for us so often far exceeds what we could ever think that we could want for ourselves. A big part of growing in maturity is learning to see when God's plan is better than my plan. I remember, uh, this was probably eight or nine years ago now, um, I applied to be a part of this consortium of young pastors um, that they were going to put into uh, flagship churches and train to be the next generation of great pastors in our annual conference. And I remember getting the letter on Christmas Eve telling me, thanks for applying, but we have no interest in you, Caleb. <laughs> and being devastated, thinking this is terrible. What will ever happen? How will I ever figure out how to do this without being a part of this program? But as I look back, the doors that have opened that I've been able to walk through, the mentors I've been able to learn from, the churches I've been able to serve because I wasn't in that program, God's plan was a lot better than my plan, obviously. And I hope that you have these stories too, where the plans that we make go sideways, but when we look back in hindsight, we're able to see that God was working a better plan all along. My hope for us is that as we leave here today, that we would have eyes to see how God is working in the midst of our broken plans. You know, a lot of us had plans for this summer that aren't going to go as scheduled. We planned on going on vacation, and that vacation has been postponed indefinitely. Or we planned on playing baseball, and the season is looking like, um, if it happens, it's going to be weird. Or uh, we planned on... Um, going to the zoo a bunch or spending a lot of time at, at the pool or the park. Or, we all have these different plans that, that are looking like they aren't going to go quite how we thought they would. And my hope for us is that we will have eyes to see how God is taking our broken plans and orchestrating something better. Something that's going to draw us near him, draw us out of what is normal, 
and into his presence to learn ever more just how much he loves us and desires for us to experience the life that he's offering. So may our Lord Jesus Christ go near you to defend you, go before you to guide you, go behind you to forgive you, go above you to bless you, and live within you so you may love one another. He lives and reigns with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God now and even forevermore. Amen.